The scripture for today's sermon comes from Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. The word of God speaks to us. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he had answered them well, asked him, which commandment is most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. This is God's word to us. Thanks, Katie. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Brandon High. I get to serve as a community group's pastor here. So if, I'd ha- if I haven't had the chance to meet you, I'd love to. So it's just wonderful to be gathered this morning. Uh, it's, it's, we had a great time of worship. The, t- the team did awesome this morning, so really grateful. I want to invite you in this moment uh, to pray with me as I pray for you over this text and how it applies to our lives. Father, thank you so much for my friends. Thank you for these brothers and sisters and anybody that's a guest that's joining us this morning. God, grateful that we get to gather, and I pray that as we dive into your word, as we we look at this idea of what Jesus calls, what's called the great commandment, that our hearts would be transformed. God, that this morning wouldn't be a mere intellectual exercise where people are just listening and gathering information, but that it would be transforming for our hearts. So Holy Spirit, meet us in this time. God, help me to say things that are helpful to my friends. If I say things that are unhelpful, help them to forget. But God, we pray, I pray that this, would, this time would glorify you and you would change us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So this morning, we're continuing our study in the gospel of Mark. And the moment that we're looking at in the life of Jesus is amazing, and it's really important for us if we're going to apply this to our lives to understand the context. And so two weeks ago, Dave led us through looking at this interaction that Jesus was having with different Jewish leadership groups. And so Jesus is there, he's teaching, and the groups that are present are the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Herodians, and the scribes. And so the Pharisees, as a reminder, are this really strict Jewish group. The Sadducees, though, are this group that they don't believe in miracles. They don't believe in the resurrection. They had really strong morals, but they didn't believe in the supernatural. And so it turns into this really interesting showdown between Jesus and these groups. The Pharisees are saying, Jesus, uh, we hear you talking about honoring people and stuff, but what about taxes? Who do we pay taxes to? Jesus is like, show me some money. So they hand him a denarii. He says, well, whose face is on this? It's Caesar's. He says, give to Caesar's. What is Caesar's? So the Sadducees then try to one-up the Pharisees, and they're like, okay, okay, this guy, he says he, believes, he says he believes in the resurrection. He's talked about that. Jesus, Moses said that if a husband dies without a child, his brother should marry and care for his widow. And so then they pose this, this scenario of this man who's married. He has seven brothers. The husband dies. His brother marries 
no child's had, he dies, the next brother, so on and so forth, all the way to the seventh brother. In the resurrection, whose, whose wife will she be? And Jesus replies, who said there's going to be marriage in heaven? And that's where we find ourselves right now in this passage today. He's just had these interactions, and another man comes to Jesus with a question. And when it comes to the context, we have to understand first the question and the questioner. So let's talk about that, the question and the questioner. And so at this part, at the, at the book of Mark, in the gospel of Mark, we're, we're looking at the final week of Jesus' life. And so over the course of the last couple months, we've been seeing conflict after conflict between Jesus and, these, and, other, and Jewish leaders. And our passage today deals with a religious leader of a different kind, a scribe, one that I think many of us can relate with. And so the scribe approaches Jesus in a very different way that we've seen other leaders approach Jesus. The scribe shows us a kind of maturity that I think could be really helpful if we, if we seek to rediscover and cultivate this in ourselves. He's more enthralled with Jesus, and he's not closed off like the others who have come to Jesus to seek to trap or test him. So a scribe was an expert in the Old Testament law. The NIV actually describes, uh, describes a scribe as a teacher of the law. They were the ones who were equipped to accurately interpret what the scripture said, and then after they interpreted, they would offer binding instruction to the Israelites. They were, in essence, religious heavy hitters. They were a sort of like attorneys for God. And up until this point in the Gospel of Mark, every single time religious leaders questioned Jesus, they were never friendly. And that's up until this point we see that this guy is a little different. You know, he had been witnessing all of the conflicts that Jesus had had with these other leaders and groups and seen Jesus answer them really brilliantly. And even though this man is on the other team, he's on the side even opposing Jesus, he was curious and he was intrigued by him. He was probably aware of many of the conversations that had been had about Jesus behind closed doors, all their plots and all their thinking. He maybe never said it out loud, but I would guess that as this man was in, engaging in these discussions, he, he might have thought, man, there's something different about Jesus. There's something different about him. So let's read again Mark 12, verse 28. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? And so this scribe, I believe, is genuinely curious. He knew that Jesus had answered well to all the questions from his peers. And it's shocking that most of the religious leaders never ask him a question in a spirit of humility or teachability. But this guy does, this scribe does. He's curious and he's reflective towards Jesus. He's not closed off. How could it benefit you and I to have this kind of posture towards Jesus? When we're reading the scriptures, how could it benefit you and I to have this kind of posture? I think we could all have a more humble posture towards him. What does he want to teach you? Where does he want to do a deep work in your heart or in your soul? What does he want you to prioritize in your life? Or maybe better, where does he want you to reprioritize things in your life? My prayer for our church this morning has been that we would humbly come to Jesus for answers in our life, a lot like this scribe. And so his question is, is, what is the greatest commandment? And this question may feel a little bit odd to us, but to them it was actually a really common 
question because the scribes, again, were experts in the Old Testament. They spent their lives studying the Old Testament. They spent their lives unpacking the Old Testament. They spent time breaking the first five books of the Bible, which is called the Torah, down. And they actually broke it down into 613 laws. 248 of those laws being positive in nature, 365 of those laws were prohibitions. So 248 were go and do this kind of law, and 365 were don't, don't go near that, don't do that. And among the scribes, this is interesting, it was thought that some commands were weightier and some were lighter. So some of the commands were weightier and some were lighter, and they often defined the weight based on the impact of the person who broke it. So an example could be murder. According to the law, if you took someone's life, then your life would be required of you. That's heavy. That's heavy law. If you, however, were watching someone's pet and it died in your care by accident, you would simply get them a new pet and everything was fine. That's a little bit lighter. And it was a big, big debate among the scribes, which law is the heaviest? Which law is the greatest? And so this scribe takes this opportunity to ask Jesus this very question because he had seen Jesus answer with great power and great wisdom and great authority to his other, to his peers. And it's interesting because I think Jesus looks at people who are curious. He looks at people who are wanting answers with a, with a kindness. There's a, there's a welcome, he's, he's welcoming in his spirit towards those people. He responds very different to people with genuine questions than he does people with attacking questions. And if you're here today and you're not quite sure what you think about Jesus, man, I just want to say you're welcome here. Like, we're so glad that you're here. We want to invite you to ask questions. We want you to find some answers, and we're going to do our best to try and provide that for you. But for those of us who are here this morning who are followers of Jesus, his response today to this question is so vital for our lives. But before we look at Jesus' answer, I want to mention a few things about the law. I think sometimes the law can be really confusing, and it can be really confusing to try to reconcile the Old Testament law with the New Testament's coming of Jesus and the offer of so much grace that he's provided. And so you might have questions like I did. And so here's a few of the ones I was asking myself. Do we need the law today? Are we saved by obeying the law plus faith? Can we just dump the law in a shallow grave and move on from it? Or is there a difference between uh, Israel's purity laws, civil laws, and moral laws? And so many books have been written over the years on this topic. And if I had to summarize it, I'd summarize it this way. Because Jesus fulfills the law, and the Old Testament points to him, we then in turn read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament. And this leads us to a few guiding thoughts as we consider Jesus' answer. One, the law reveals God's character. It reveals God's character. Second, the law shows us how badly we need a Savior. And lastly, the, God, the law guides us into God's will after we meet Jesus. And so again, that's just a brief overview, but hopefully helpful as we dive into Jesus' answer. And I want to be abundantly clear on something this morning. Because we read the Old Testament in light of the New Testament, we are saved to God from hell we're going to be in heaven because of what we believe. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel that we've been singing about this morning. That Jesus has died for our sins on the cross. 
that the Holy Spirit raised him from the dead on the third day. And if you believe that he died for your sins, then you don't have to pay. You don't have to pay. You don't have to suffer for your sins. And the gospel is something that you believe or you don't, or you're processing it. You're not kind of saved. You're not kind of a Christian. It all comes down to what you believe. That's the heart of the gospel. But when you believe it, it will impact the way that you live. Again, you're saved by what you believe, but what you believe, if you really believe it, will impact the way that you live. And so let's look at Jesus' answer to this question. What is the greatest commandment in verses 29 through 31? Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. This was a brilliant answer by Jesus because remember who he's speaking to. He's speaking to the Jewish leaders who held the 613 laws. And Jesus summarizes all of those with two, which are really one. He says, love God, love people, one command being love. And if you do this, all the other do's and don'ts that you guys are so worried about, will take care of themselves. And so Jesus' answer to the question is love. And so let's first look at loving God. Many of us may have grown up thinking to be a Christian means I have to behave or I get smacked. That's what following God's about. And Jesus in this moment is like, no, 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 no. First and foremost, the top commandment is to love God with all that you are. Love the God that made you. Love the God that created you. Everything else in our lives should flow from that. Our obedience to him should flow from our love for him. Our obedience as we follow him flows from our love for him. If the first and foremost desire of your heart is to love him, you want to do the things that he wants you to do. You want to act in a way that brings him glory. You want to act in a way that brings him joy and you joy as well. And so what's the What's the most important law? What's the heaviest one? It's to love God with all of our being. R.C. Sproul actually says it this way. He says, we love God not because of his benefits, but because of who he is. We love him because he's lovely. He's worthy for unqualified affection. And so this command, this idea to love God, describes integrated, whole person, whole life kind of worship and love. With our hearts, we feel love and affection and desire and devotion and delight. In our minds, we think rationally. We seek for truth in our thinking, in our learning, in our intelligent comprehension, in our soul, which is really the depth of our being. It's who we are at our core essence, totality, meaning, and purpose. And in our strength, we love God in our actions, in justice, holiness, habit, effort, and behavior. Why does God deserve this kind of worship? Because in his heart, he's relational, and he has a heart for us. In his mind, he is true, and everything that he says is true. His soul, God, is the end for which we were created in strength because he's holy, and he cares deeply about our words, our deeds and doings in his good and broken world. This is integrated, whole person, all of life, and love worship because God 
is worth it. And here's what's interesting about the great commandment. The great commandment actually reveals our need for Jesus. It reveals our need for Jesus. Because I know if God were to ask me solely about my mind, Brandon, have you loved me with all of your mind if I'm honest? I have to say no, not even close. I turn my mind to so many other things. Sometimes I'm more interested in the things of this world than I am learning about the things of God. And we all know that not one of us for one single day has been able to keep the great commandment. But Jesus did. And he lived out this commandment to perfection. He always loved God with all of his heart. He always loved God with all of his mind and soul and strength. He lived the perfect life that we can't. And this morning, we should be praising God that he did because if you believe in Jesus, you have been given the righteous, his righteousness as your own. An accuser could call each of us as followers of Jesus into a courtroom and say these accusations. They don't love God with all their heart. And God would reply, no, but my son did, and his death is theirs and his righteousness also. They don't love God with all their mind. And God would say, no, but my son did, and his death is theirs and his righteousness also. They don't love God with all their soul or their strength. No, but my son did. And his death is theirs and his righteousness also. The second part of this idea that Jesus brings about of love is to love others. It's to love others. Jesus says to love your neighbor as yourself, which is in essence to put others' interests first before your very own. And let's be really honest this morning. There are people in all of our lives who are difficult to love. They're hard for us to love. And it could, be, it could be a neighbor, it could be a coworker, it could be a family member or a close friend, it could be a spouse or a child. There's someone in your life that's difficult to love, and then there's also someone in your life that's fairly easy for you to love, someone that you really enjoy, someone that when you spend time with them, you easily click. So when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, who's he talking about? I think he's talking about both. He's talking about people that it's hard for us or difficult or challenging for us to love. And he's also talking about people that it's easy for us to love. But Jesus is not talking about an emotion. He's not talking about feeling something for someone. He's actually talking about an action towards them, an action towards them. When we talk about love in our culture, it's actually kind of unhelpful. Because we talk about loving a lot of things, right? We love everything. We love coffee. We love hunting. We love chocolate. We love everything. But when Jesus is talking about love, he's talking about an action. In the way you would meet needs for yourself, you do the same for those who are your neighbors. And so let's further define love. I want to give you a running definition. Love here, I believe, is inconveniencing yourself for the good of someone else. It's inconveniencing yourself for the good of someone else. So it's doing something kind and good for something that maybe cost you something without an expectation of receiving anything back for them. You've probably heard that there are multiple words for love in the Greek language, and the Greek word for love used in this passage today is agape. It's a selfless love for everyone without expecting anything in return. 
And as I was meditating on this idea of agape love, the illustration that kept coming to my mind this week was just a picture of a mother and a newborn baby. A mother can do anything to care for her little baby. You've seen this, you've experienced this, maybe you're sitting in this room experiencing it right now with a baby at home as a mom. Mothers go without sleep, they go without food, they do whatever it takes to love and care for that baby, and that baby doesn't offer that much in return. They're cute and great, but they really just don't offer that much in return. That's agape. That's what agape love is. It's a sacrificial kind of love where you do something for someone expecting nothing in return. And Jesus is calling his followers, he's calling us this morning to this kind of love for each other and for those who don't yet know who he is. Friends, are we, are we loving each other with this kind of love? Are we loving our spouses with this kind of love, our children? Are we loving those far from God with this kind of love? Are we loving the people that live in our streets with this kind of love? Are we loving our coworkers with this kind of love? Agape love is like the way that a mom loves a baby. And that's how Jesus has called us to love everyone. It's a self-sacrificial love, the kind God has shown us in the gospel of Jesus. And as I was meditating and processing on this this week, I, this question just kept coming to mind. Like, have we, have we lost this kind of love? Even to some degree. Somewhere along the way, have we, have we lost it? And it seems to me that sometimes in my life, I have. And maybe you can relate with that as well. It seems to me that we love out of our own conveniences and biases instead of seeking to inconvenience ourselves on the behalf of someone else without expecting anything in return. And I think that Jesus wants to do a deep work in each of our hearts this morning. He wants to teach us and show us and guide us into what it looks like to genuinely love God and love our neighbors. Throughout history, it's really interesting. God has used global pandemics to explode Christianity, explode it. In the second and third century, 5,000 people a day were dying in the Roman Empire. Bodies were literally piling up in the streets because what was happening is if you became ill, your family members or your friends were so afraid of getting sick that they would just throw you out into the streets. So there was no one to care for you. That's, what, that's how they were responding to this, to this pandemic that was happening across the Roman Empire. And I want to read you a quote from The Rise of Christianity that's written by Rodney Stark. He says, During these pandemics at a time when all other faiths were called to question, the whole Christian community, followers of the way, which is how they were known, became an army of nurses providing basic needs for the suffering community. And then Stark quotes Dionysus, who was a second century bishop, So these are actually the words of an eyewitness. He says, Christians, followers of the way, showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves, thinking only of others. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ, and with them departing this life serenely happy. 
This is, this is crazy. For they were infected by others with the d- disease, drawing on the sickness themselves for their neighbors and cheerfully accepting their pains. These followers of the way, these Christians, were cheerfully accepting the pains of their neighbors. Their response was, all you have is a disease that's going to kill me? Deal. I'll take it. It's crazy. That's crazy to me. But in a pandemic, when the values of Christianity were hot, people moved closer to Jesus and others around noticed. And I'm not comparing this pandemic to COVID. That's not what I'm doing. But I'm trying to show what agape love has looked like for brothers and sisters who have gone before us. Are people moving closer to Jesus because of our agape love? Is that happening in our lives now? Is that happening in our church? Is that happening in our community groups? Are we too wrapped up in ourselves? I felt so convicted by that this week, that I'm often just too wrapped up in myself. You know, it's interesting, these followers of the way, described by Dionysus, were just following the way of Jesus. And in John 13, 34 and 35, he says this, He says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. This is so important. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so I want to close with this final thought. The great commandment shapes God's kingdom. The great commandment shapes God's kingdom. Pick up with me in verse, or chapter 12, Mark 12, verse 32 through 34. And the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one and there is no, one, there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And, that, and after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. It was a mic drop. The great commandment paints a picture of what it looks like inside the kingdom of God. It paints a picture of what it looks like. In other words, what are the citizens of God's kingdom like? Jesus says they're full of love. They love God with all their being and they love others more than they love themselves. For those of us this morning who are following Jesus, love is what distinguishes us as Christians. That's what distinguishes us from the world and as followers of Jesus. Apple trees produce what? Apples. Banana trees produce bananas. Christian trees produce the fruits of the Spirit, which begin with love. And I don't think that's an accident because only true joy can come from love, the love that we experience from God through Jesus, our love for God and our love for others because love is patient. It's kind. It keeps no records of wrongs. It doesn't boast. It's not envious. It's not self-seeking. Christian trees bring forth love. When I was a kid in the first grade, my family, we lived in Moore, Oklahoma, And right across the street from our neighborhood was a grocery store called Buchanan's. Does anybody remember that grocery store chain? I got a few, yeah. And their mascot was a beaver. 
And it was terrifying to me as a first grader. I mean, look at that thing. Creepy teeth, creepy eyes, huge tail that could probably kill you with one swack. I was terrified of that. I actually had nightmares as a child about that beaver. I can tell you later what it was because it's ingrained in my memory. You know, but my parents, when I was a kid, they taught me if I ever got lost or separated from them, that I should try to find a police officer. And the way that I could identify a police officer was they'd be wearing a uniform and a badge. And so sure enough, one day I walk into Buchanan's with my mom. I get separated from her. I'm lost. I'm terrified that that thing's coming after me. <laughs> He's lurking. I'm scrambling around trying to find my mom. I go around the corner of an aisle, and sure enough, I see a police officer. She's wearing her uniform. She's wearing a badge. I know she's a police officer. She could tell I was terrified. She could tell that I was scared and I was lost. And her mission in that moment became to help me find my mom. And what I'm trying to tell you is there are people around you who are lost. They're looking for someone who can help them find their way, whether they know it or not. Maybe they're in a place of despair. Maybe they're like the scribe and they're close to the kingdom of God. And they're not looking for a sticker on your car. They're not looking for a tattoo that you have. They're not looking to see if you have an MDiv degree. They're looking for a follower of Jesus whose uniform is love. Jesus says they'll know you because of your love. So friends, let's remember this morning that we follow Jesus, the one who inconvenienced himself in the most heinous of ways for our good and for our salvation and because of our belief in him, he's called us to love God and love others. Pray with me.